What's up, what's up, what's up, fight fans? It's that time of the week again. Welcome to The Neutral Corner, episode 143. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. By the way, latest issue, Boxing Monthly Magazine, out in the stores. You guys, if you don't get it at the bookstore where you live, wherever, whatever part of the world you're listening to this from, there's an app. You can go to the Boxing Monthly app and you can get the magazine right there on your phone. So be sure to check that out. Just go to the App Store and look for Boxing Monthly. Boom, it'll pop up right there and you can get the magazine online on your phone, your tablet, whatever device you're using. Awesome magazine. It's not just a British fight mag. It truly is a global fight mag. But there's a focus on the British scene, obviously which I think is awesome because the British fight scene right now is red hot. It is among the hottest of fight scenes on planet Earth. So make sure you check out Boxing Monthly Magazine, all right? If you're a true fight fan, you'll dig it. Before I get into news and notes, we got a lot of stuff to go over, man. It's been a crazy week. There's been some wacky news that kind of came out of left field. There's been mascots getting knocked out on television, all kinds of stuff. Before I get into that, I want to uh, give you guys your assignment or your fee for episode 143, all right? Now, this is important. We're going to go back to iTunes. A lot of you guys, I know you've already gone to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You've searched for The Neutral Corner from Ontario Unboxing. You've left a rating, a review. You've subscribed, and I appreciate it. But guys, I get the metrics. I get the reporting. I can see how many thousands of people every week are either downloading this podcast, watching it on YouTube, streaming it, whatever. So there's only a handful of you, a very, very small fraction, who are going and leaving these ratings, leaving these reviews, likes, subscribes, shares, all that kind of stuff. This week, I'm asking you, please, 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 go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe to the podcast. If you've done that already, here's what I'm going to ask of you. Send the link of the podcast and I will post it on this on the YouTube, okay? I'll post it on the YouTube in a pinned comment for this episode, 143. The link to my uh, to my iTunes page. Send that to your peeps, even if they're just casual sports fans. And look, they might not want to subscribe to the podcast. I get it. It's a boxing. You got to be a boxing nerd to love this show. I get it, okay? Just ask your friends, your family members, your boys, your girls to just go to my iTunes and just drop a quick five-star rating. Just say to your friends, hey, look, this is my boy, Mike. He busts his ass. He works really hard. Every Monday he does this podcast. He's passionate about the sport of boxing. He's not just a guy yapping about it. He actually trains, he fights, he spars. He knows what he's talking about. He loves it. He promotes this sport and he promotes fighters. Please, please, please. It'll help me out. Help out my friend, Mike. Just go here and leave a quick uh, rating. You don't even have to leave a review. Just click the five-star button for two seconds. Please do that for me, for my boy Montero. That's what I'm asking for you guys for episode 143, all right? I want to get the number of ratings on my iTunes over 100 by the end of the year. I think we're in the 70s right now, so I need about 20-something more. Guys, between everybody, and again, it's thousands of you a week that listen, watch, stream this show. 
I know we can get 20 something more people between everybody we know to drop, simply drop a five star rating for the show on iTunes. That is your fee for this week, all right? Let's get into news and notes. We got a lot to talk about. Okay, so first thing I wanna talk about is uh, some rating stuff because th- this is important, okay? With the changing landscape of the, the nature of boxing being promoted online on these apps, it's leaving uh, the premium cable networks. We know HBO is out of it and it's going more to regular cable network television. So ratings during this changing climate really, really are important. And it's something we need to look at. So Sri Saket saw Rungbisai. He fought in Thailand. He fought uh, Iran Diaz, right? About a week or so ago. That fight combined. Now remember, I told you guys it was available on YouTube. Well, apparently it was also available on Facebook, on Twitter, and of course on TV over in Thailand, combined with all the the data they got from Nielsen, from YouTube, from all the, the social media outlets, they did over 25 million viewers. In terms of television, they did a 58% market share in Thailand. That's huge. That's not just a little bit. That's that's like what the Klitschko's would do in Germany, what Pacquiao does in the Philippines. That's massive. It's that combined with all the social media exposure. That's just, that's a big deal, guys. This is a little tiny Thai fighter doing that kind of, those, you know, that kind of number. And I've talked to you guys before about what Ryoto Murata is doing in Japan and, and internationally on social media, all the streaming stuff. So more and more fighters from that part of the world are doing some big ratings and that changes the demographics of the sport that changes the landscape of how it's promoted and marketed and packaged so this is stuff you should pay attention to now i've been critical of of rugby side because you guys you know if you follow the show then you know i've talked about this he had the two wins over chocolatito he had the win over juan francisco estrada earlier this year and then he went off to thailand and fought a couple of cabbies right and I don't want to disrespect the opponents, and I, I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying these are two guys that did, that do not belong in the ring with Rungvisai. And I've been like, well, what the hell are they doing? Well, this is what they've been doing. They've been fighting in front of 20 plus million people. So what they're doing is very, very smart. And they're building this guy's brand up. And apparently, you know, he wants maybe Chocolatito again. He wants Estrada again, definitely. That fight, either one of those fights, would be here in the States. That'd be on one of those super flag cards. That's not going to be on HBO, but ESPN is interested. Uh, Bob Arum and Top Rank are interested in working in association with Loeffler. If Loeffler wants to go solo, he has the streaming technology set up with 360 Promotions because they've been streaming their Hollywood Fight Nights cards. So there's several different possibilities. Guys, a Superfly 4 card, I'm not. this is not out of the realm of possibility. It could be streamed on Ring's site through 360 Promotions, or it could wind up on ESPN. That's a big fucking deal. And if you get Rung Visai Estrada, you know, a fight like that, a rematch, those two again, uh, you've got a dude who just did 25 million viewers globally, and that's available on some sort of streaming service. That's huge, okay? The international global economics and demographics of this thing 
man, it is just such an exciting time to be involved in boxing. I am just so excited to be involved in this sport right now. We are in such a better place than we were 10 years ago. You talk to some of the old timers in the media, they think the world's ending. They think that it's Armageddon. They think that boxing is finished. Globally, this sport has never been this healthy. If you are just getting into this sport, if you are a new fan to this sport, you're a young guy, young girl, just getting involved, you picked a good time, okay? Seriously, you picked a good time. One other ratings note, real quick. We just saw Terrence Crawford beat Benavidez in Omaha. Now, I'll talk more about that fight in detail later in the episode, but the rating, and I'm not going to get into all the details of what how you break this stuff down, but just, just pay attention for a second, okay? It did, according to Nielsen, it did a 1.6 metered market rating. Now, I know, that's like, what the hell does that mean, Mike? I, I get it. This is the part you need to know, okay? I'm not going to break down the way the Nielsen market share stuff works. All you need to hear is this. It's th that rating is for the entire card, start to finish, every bout, not just the main event. It's a 1.6 for the entire card. That makes it the highest rated boxing card, top to bottom, in all of 2018 on every single network here in the States. That includes HBO, Showtime, Fox, CBS, all of them. That's what Terrence Crawford just did. Now, you compare that to the rating of the Indongo fight, which was also on regular ESPN. It is 80% higher. So, Benavidez obviously brought some ratings with him. But I'll tell you what also brought more ratings. Crawford knocking Indongo the hell out. Remember that, when they fought on ESPN, when he knocked out Ndongo in an exciting performance from Crawford that makes people want to come back. You knock a dude out, you look dominant, guess what happens with your next fight? You do better ratings. No shit. So he dominates Ndongo, collects all four titles, becomes the undisputed champion at 140 pounds that is something we don't see very often in boxing it does it right there on espn prime time his very next fight does an 80 percent higher metered market rating according to nielsen during nfl season nba season nhl season going up i mean you think everything going on saturday everything oh, i'm sorry what am i saying nba and all that's that's a preseason Major League Baseball is in the playoffs. That's what I meant to say, guys. Major League Baseball playoffs right now, college football, NFL football, and you're doing a rating that's 80% better than your last fight. That's a big deal, man. By comparison, Lomachenko Linares did a 1.0 rating, which is still very, very good. In fact, up until Saturday, that was the highest rated boxing broadcast on ESPN of 2018. This almost doubled that. Well, 1.6 versus 1.0. Not exactly doubled, but you get what I'm saying. Just a big deal, okay? So so good stuff from Crawford. He also did over 13,000 there at the arena, the HCI Health Center in Omaha. All right, so ratings information. And again, this stuff is important, ladies and gentlemen, especially with the changing of the guard in regards to where we watch and consume boxing now. 
We got to pay attention to this stuff more than ever. All right, let's move forward here. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, the Massachusetts Commission, denies his boxing license. Says, nope, we ain't giving you a license. You just failed a test. So he basically gave up his title, his WBO middleweight title, because he was going to be stripped. The WBO hasn't ruled yet, but they're probably going to suspend him for six months. And they should. Look, I talked about this a little bit in a rant video I did when I was in L.A. a couple weeks back for, for a wedding. There is an in-competition and out-of-competition prohibited list that WADA puts forth. Now, this particular drug that Saunders tested positive for is technically, per WADA's standards, okay out of competition. Well, in boxing, in my opinion, there's no such thing as out of competition. I don't care if you have a fight scheduled or not. You're going into the gym, you're sparring, you're punching dudes in the head, they're punching you in the head. If any of you is taking a stimulant or anything that is technically okay, according to WADA, out of competition, you could still hurt somebody and you're still getting an unfair training advantage over a guy who's in the gym, staying in shape in between fights, completely natural without the aid of any of this stuff. It all translates and carries over to fight night. At least in theory, it does. So VADA, what makes them so good is they, they threw away the out of competition list. 365 days a year, they don't give a shit whether you got a fight scheduled or not, whether you're in training camp yet or not. If you are doing VADA testing, you are taking, well, every drug that is on the in-competition prohibited list is game. So they popped Saunders for this one drug. And, you know, he can sit there and say, well, it was from a nose spray. By the way, guys, I've done some research on the internet. I can't find a nose spray that has this drug in it. If you guys have seen this nose spray and know how to get it, is it an over-the-counter thing? Let me know, particularly you guys over there in the UK. But I can't find it. I've done a lot of searching and I cannot find it, this mythical, magical nose spray that has this drug in it. But for Saunders to sit there and say, well, you know, this is out of competition, it's okay. But dude, you signed up for VADA. You agreed to do VADA testing because Demetrius Andre and his team wanted you to do that because they suspected you. Victor Conti, who, you know, Andrade trains up in snack, uses, you know, some of their training methods and stuff like that, uh, advised Team Andre to ask Billy Joe Saunders to do VADA testing. And if you're Saunders, you agreed. Strict liability, dude. That means if you consume something and you pop for it, well, you signed the damn paperwork, bro. This is 100% on Saunders, whether it was accidental or not. And it's very, very hypocritical of him after he was bashing the shit out of Canelo. Now look where he's at. So anyway, Andre is going to fight this fighter from Namibia, Walter Kodondokwa, who I've never heard of. So Andre is going to win. This is an opportunity for Demetrius Andre to get a knockout on television, or wait, is this this is on the zone? I believe either way uh, to get a knockout in a main event fight and grab a title. If he stinks out the joint and does just enough to win a boring tactical shit decision over this Namibian fighter that nobody's ever heard of, shame on him. This is a chance for him to look outstanding 
and grab a title in a main event. And that's what he needs to do. We'll talk more about that later in the episode. Okay, speaking of drug testing and VADA, Tyson Fury finally, 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 finally enrolls in the WBC's clean boxing program uh, last Tuesday, the 9th. It was announced that he finally signed up for it. Here's my issue. This fight was announced on August 18th. So it had been announced about two months prior to when Fury finally signed up just for the clean boxing program, which really doesn't mean shit. I've explained the way this works, guys. The clean boxing program, most fighters, they test once or twice a year, if that. There's dozens of fighters who are enrolled who don't even get tested. So it's a good look to be in the program, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're being tested at a regular basis, if at all. So Fury, why the hell did you wait two months to send in the paperwork? Mauricio Suleiman sent him the papers and everything a while ago. And they were starting to talk about it in the media because they weren't gonna, the, the title wasn't gonna be on the line for him if he didn't sign up. It's just a bad look because Fury's tested positive for performance enhancing drugs and for recreational drugs before. So uh, not a good look. He's also been raided by the WBC for a while. And according to the clean boxing program rules, if you're rated by the BC, I think it's the top 15 in a weight class and or you're fighting for a, a world title, you're supposed to be in the clean boxing program and he hasn't been. So it's kind of a shady look. If I'm Team Wilder, I'm paying really, really close attention to what's going on with Fury and his camp. Okay, Manny Pacquiao. Actually, you know what? Let's wait for Manny Pacquiao. So I was just talking about Tyson Fury. Let's jump right into Deontay Wilder. You guys have seen, I tweeted it out. I posted it on the MOB Facebook page and I posted it on Instagram. He was on a show called uh, Nacion ESPN on the Spanish language ESPN. And there was some mascot dude in a sombrero <laughs> mustache hopping up and down. It was just so corny and cheesy. And that's why I love Spanish media. Um, Spanish media and Spanish soap operas are hilarious to watch, man. You don't even have to speak good Spanish to watch them. Generally speaking with the soap operas, the Spanish is very, very clean and uh, you can understand what they're saying. But even if it gets a little rough, it's just the shows are so corny and so bad. They're hilarious. But the media, they just they show you shit that it, you don't get on English speaking media. So you got this corny, silly looking mascot jumping up and down, sombrero, mustache. I mean, I don't even know what the hell he's supposed to be, the mascot, other than a gross stereotype. Uh, jumping up and down, they tell, they ask Deontay Wilder, who's on this show, who speaks absolutely zero Spanish, so I don't know why the hell he was on the show, to punch the mascot. So does Wilder, you know, give him a love tap? Does he punch him in the gut or in the chest? That would have been smart. Nah, he winds up and throws a full straight right hand right into the dude's eye. <laughs> and the show, the show goes absolutely silent. You know, just, just like this silence. The mascot falls to his back. And at first, the, the two hosts, it's a guy and a girl. The girl looked kind of shocked. The guy did a little bit, but you could tell he tried to play it off. And they just started kind of chuckling. And then uh, the homeboy kneels next to the mascot and starts counting them out. It just looks so bad, you know, but I can't help but laugh every time I see it. 
if the mascot, if it wasn't a mascot, it wouldn't be funny. But because it's a dude in a costume, instant funny. Anytime you put a dude in a costume, a mascot, and throw it in any situation, the shit's funny. Even if normally it'd be horrible. It's the same thing with midgets. I'm sorry if any of you out there are a midget. I apologize. But if you put a midget in any situation, the shit is funny. It could be a damn documentary about World War II, Warsaw, Nazi camp, and if there's a midget SS officer, I'm going to laugh my ass off. There's just something about midgets and something about mascots that makes me chuckle. Now, the, uh, the, the, apparently, the rumor was that Wilder broke this mascot dude's jaw. The actual Nacion ESPN producer or whatever came out and said, no, there was no injury. The mascot guy is okay. Wilder made a post on uh, social media because there was also rumors that apparently Wilder didn't know there was a human being inside the costume. So Wilder makes a post on social media saying, of course I knew there was a person in a costume. Come on. But that also like brings up the question, like, dude, if you knew there was a person inside, why would you punch him full strength? Like, what are you doing, man? The dude's in a costume. He probably can barely see. He's, it's not like he's got his hands up. You just basically sucker punched a civilian on national TV, dude. So anyway, to, uh, to make amends, Wilder offered this guy tickets to his fight with Tyson Fury, which I just... The stupidity, just the whole thing, so silly. Only in boxing do you get this shit. I love it. Okay, let's go back. Uh, let's go over Manny Pacquiao signing with Al Heyman at PBC. So I did a rant video about this. You guys could check that out, given my immediate thoughts that really haven't changed. Do I think this really improves the welterweight landscape? Not really. Do I think that this was a big power play by Heyman? No. I think this was kind of a desperate move by Pacquiao. Top rank, you know, they wanted him to fight Crawford, which makes sense because that's a brand building exercise for Crawford. They wanted him, if, if he wouldn't fight Crawford, at least fight Lomachenko, which Pacquiao would have a chance to win that fight because if he connected clean, he could hurt Lomachenko because he's so much smaller. But again, that would be a brand building fight. And I think Manny looked at it that way and was like, you know what, dude, I don't want to be a B-side for one of your guys coming up. I mean, in terms of name recognition, he'd be the A-side. But in terms of business plan, he'd be the B-side. And there was a fight recently where he was going to be put on a, a co-main. Top Rank was going to plan to put Manny on a co-main, not a main event. And I think Manny was insulted. So him leaving his whole team... And jumping over to be advised by Al Heyman and work with his shadow promoters, you know, to kind of work behind the scenes, uh, depending on the market and the event. You know, I just kind of look at this as what a lot of fighters do at this stage of their career. If you want to sign with somebody that will get you a fight once, twice a year, maybe, with the least amount of risk, the highest possible earnings you could get for that risk. Uh, that's that's Heyman. That's what Heyman's going to do for you. But for boxing fans, is this a big deal? Is this anything to get excited about? No. Ultimately, the business plan with this is to do Mayweather Pacquiao too. Now, if you're one of those people that really love that fight and really want to see it again, okay, you should be excited. But for any of you out there who want to get to Thurman fighting Spence, 
the winner of that fight fighting Terrence Crawford, who want to get to those kind of fights, you know, and want to see the welterweight division thrive and, and we get a real king of that division. Guys, all this does is further delay and muck up that shit. That's really all it does. So it was actually a step back in that regard. Do I see Pacquiao stepping up to fight Errol Spence or even Keith Thurman is possible because he's been so inactive. I would say that is possible. But Errol Spence, get out of here. He ain't going within, he ain't going to breathe or mention Errol Spence's name. Not happening. So I don't know. Like maybe it's going to be a Danny Garcia. Maybe it's an Adrian Broner. Maybe it's an Andre Berto. Victor, well, Victor Ortiz, who knows? He might be locked up. But it's going to be those kinds of guys for a while. That's what you're going to see. It's going to do ratings for PBC. It's going to make some money for them and for Pacquiao. He needs it. I get it. But other than that, that's really all that move is, guys. It's just we've seen it a million times, just maybe not with a fighter at this, you know, with this kind of name recognition. But to me, it really, really just symbolizes that it's over for Manny. Like his career is done. And top rank don't deal with guys at that level. You know, they still would have worked with Manny, but they got two studs, man. They got Crawford and Lomachenko. And those are the two top guys pound for pound right now. So this makes sense for everybody involved with where they went. Okay? That is what it is. All right. News and notes is done. We got a lot to review. Let's get to it. So last Thursday, October 11th, at the hangar in Costa Mesa, California, Ali Akhmadov, 175-pounder, Kazakhstan native, now based in Las Vegas. He improved to 13-0 at 10 knockouts with a KO1 win, so he's a good-looking light heavyweight prospect to keep an eye on. He keeps on rolling. Now, Saturday, October 13th, we had fights all over the world. Let's start at Ekaterinburg, Russia where it was World Boxing Super Series Season 2 action on the zone. And in the co-main, in the cruiserweight fight, Andrew Tabiti improves to 17-0 with 13 knockouts. He's a Chicago-born fighter, now based in Vegas uh, with the Mayweather camp. Scores a unanimous decision over Russian Ruslan Pfeiffer, who suffered his first loss as a pro. The scores were 116, 111, 115-112, 114-113. Uh, deducted one point for pushing at one point in the fight. I really thought the 116-111 score was accurate. I thought Tabiti clearly won a good eight rounds of this fight. So he moves forward in the cruiserweight tournament. Now a lot of you are questioning, why would the World Boxing Super Series do a cruiserweight tournament in season two? I actually like it. I like it a lot. Cruiserweight is an underrated, underappreciated division. And I'll tell you something. If they do a damn cruiserweight tournament every year, as long as they're getting the top guys in the tournament, I could care less. Make good fights and let's see what happens. Now look, let's just say, I'm not, this isn't my prediction, but let's just say Tabiti wins this tournament. He wins season two. Well, he wasn't in season one. He'd be a new star, a new guy, a new face, and he would have won season two. Who out there wouldn't want to see Usyk and Tabiti fight at that point? I know I sure would. So whoever wins season two of this tournament, particularly if it's a new guy who wasn't in the tournament last year, or even if it's Bradis, who may have been the second best fighter 
in the tournament last year and had a good competitive fight with Usyk, who wouldn't want to see a rematch between Usyk and Bradis if he's the guy who wins this tournament? So guys, it's, it's still a good idea, particularly for that division because it's so underappreciated. I like that they brought the Cruiserweight tournament back. So definitely check those out. I mean, Cruiserweight is a good, good division, man. Really, really underappreciated. All right, in the main event, in the Bantamweight fight, Zolani Titi beats Mikhail Oloyan for the second defense of his WBO Bantamweight title. Scores were 114-111 twice and 114-110. Titi hasn't lost since he lost a split decision in Argentina back in 2012 against an Argentinian fighter. And then in 2011, he lost a majority decision in Mexico to a Mexican fighter. His, so both of those losses are very questionable. Close fights, maybe there was some home cooking, could have went either way. He, did, he had one true loss, one legitimate clear-cut loss. He was knocked out, stopped in five rounds. It was a TKO five against Moriuti Mythalane. I always struggle with his name, back in 2010. So you could make an argument that TT really only has one loss and he hasn't truly lost in decisive fashion since 2010. So that's going on a decade. So this guy has to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, in that bantamweight tournament. He dropped Aloyan in the first round. TT was deducted one point in the 10th for holding. Aloyan was deducted one point in the 11th for holding. So it got a little rough in there. Aloyan, for a guy in only his fifth pro fight, performed pretty well and was competitive. So I actually think that uh, he showed some substance in this fight and will be back. I think he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. But TT keeps on rolling, and um, it's going to be great just to see that Bantamweight tournament, man. That's going to be fun going down the stretch. Okay, let's go over to the United Kingdom. There was a matchroom card at Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle. And there was an upset special. Louis Ritson, the lightweight prospect who had a lot of people excited, fought against the Belgian fighter Francesco Patera. Patera pulls the upset. Split decision. 116-112. Two judges see it his way. And the Danish judge, Soren Sogman, somehow saw it. 116-112 for Ritson, which is an awful scorecard. And this guy needs to be looked at because that's just Adelaide Bird-esque. Even Ritson in the post-fight interview said that the better man won and was you know disappointed in the way he finished the fight because he looked good early. I believe it was about the fifth round. It might have been sixth, somewhere in the middle rounds. I, I think it was the fifth round. Um, there was a body shot that Patera landed that visibly bothered Ritson. And that is where the real estate and the body language in the fight seemed to change in those middle rounds. And Patera, who has experience, he's been in there with some guys, lost you know, most any time he stepped up, but he does have that experience. I think he saw what he had. He had a guy that was inexperienced you know, with that kind of uh, pressure and you know, adversity. And he took over late and he closed the show. And I thought clearly won this fight, clearly won seven or eight rounds. So again, that Danish judge needs to be looked at. But for Ritson, look, you took a loss. It's not the end of the world. I know a lot of people focus so much on undefeated records, but I think Ritson still has a future and he can learn from this. 
There are things he can tighten up, things he can improve. He's got 12 rounds with this experienced fighter where he lost seven or eight of them. And he can go back and watch that footage and him and his team can rebuild. That's the thing, man. Sometimes taking a loss, particularly in your career, you know, the early stages of your career, you can get better. That's the whole point. Sometimes it's better to take a loss early on rather than take it at the championship level where there might be millions of dollars at stake. So I still like what I see from Ritson. And I honestly think these two are probably going to do a rematch. Why not? Let's see if the kid can improve and beat him in the rematch. I think that'll be very, very interesting. Okay, Las Vegas at the joint. Golden Boy Promotions and Main Events did another card on Facebook Watch. In the main event, Puerto Rican junior flyweight Angel Acosta scored a KO2 win over Mexican Abraham Rodriguez. And also on this card, 154-pound uh, Russian prospect Bakram Murtazaliev won. And Rashidi Ellis, uh, who's from the Boston area, I think Lynn, Massachusetts, welterweight prospect, he won. Both of those guys stayed undefeated with wins. But big card here in the States was in Omaha, of course, at the HCI Health Center. Top rank on ESPN. It was the return of Terrence Crawford to the network. He wasn't thrown on the app. He was back on ESPN like he was against Julius Ndongo. And in against David Benavidez Jr., who talked a lot of shit leading up to this fight, had some moments early on. But apparently, look, dude has issues with his leg. He was shot. Um, and you can kind of see that there were some problems there. Didn't really give many angles, didn't move his feet a lot, squared up a lot in the later rounds of this fight, and just ate too many punches. The thing I noticed in this fight, well, let me get to the particulars here. Terrence Crawford scores a TKO 12 win over Benavidez, uh, well ahead on the judges' scorecards at the time of the stoppage. First defense of the WBO welterweight title that he won off of Jeff Horn. Okay. And I already talked about the ratings. I talked about the 13,000 people in attendance. Also, Shakur Stevenson in the co-main scores a TKO1 win over Viriol Simeon. And this guy, Simeon, is, is not a chump. He was a 2004 Olympian for Romania. He dropped Simeon three times, uh, Stevenson did. Simeon took Scott Quigg the distance in 2017 and Lee Selby the distance in 2013. So like I said... Guy's not a chump. He's not a chump. And Stevenson took him out and won. So great performance by him. And with the rating that this whole card did, I mean, that's important for Stevenson and his uh, brand building. Also, 154-pounder Carlos Adamas stays uh, undefeated with the win. And welterweight, female welterweight, Michaela Mayer stays undefeated as well. And Mike Alvarado, mile high Mike, Won his sixth fight in a row with a highlight reel knockout. Okay, back to the main event. Let's talk about the particulars here. Benavidez started well early on. He had some moments. He tagged Crawford. And what I saw was a tall, long guy with underrated hand speed. Benavidez has really fast hands and gets that jab out there real nice and sharp and can get you at right hands too. He had some nice moments. But... There are levels to this game. There's 12 rounds in a championship fight. This is chess. Crawford 
After about the fourth round, made an adjustment. He found a new level. He found different angles. He started getting in and out. And instead of jumping straight in, he would get over to, uh, to the side, to Benavidez's side, to his left side, get in from the southpaw stance, get off, and then get out. And he had a guy in front of him that was flat-footed. Was it the leg injury or was it just, you know, Benavidez just isn't on the level? I don't know. But what you saw over the second half of the fight was Crawford finding different levels and fighting at different levels and using great, great footwork. One thing my boxing coach actually um, went in the gym this morning at 6 a.m. and worked out with him, just the two of us. And during our workout, we were talking about this fight. And he loves, he's a big Crawford guy. And he was talking about, watch that fight again and don't look at, you know, both guys above the waist. Look below the waist. Look at their feet. You'll see Crawford's feet are moving the entire fight. Whether he's moving forward, backward, side to side, he's constantly moving his feet. Constantly moving his feet. Occasionally getting off a combination, but always moving his feet. And sometimes some of the, the movement he's doing with his hands and his head up top kind of low you to sleep. Lomachenko does this too. Where you're looking up top, you're paying attention to the hands, to the head, to the shoulders. You're not looking at the feet. When you fight those guys, you got to look down and look at their feet. You can't grill them in the eyes. You almost got to look at their chest level so that you can see peripherally what their feet are doing. Because they're trying to lull you to sleep with all the movement up top. It's their feet moving at the same time, getting them in position. Then they get off and they're out before you can get off. And that's what I saw over the second half of this fight. And Crawford just showed class. Class reveals itself over time. And Benavidez showed that he is not a joke. I think he's a legitimate top 10 welterweight, but he just doesn't have extra levels. And I don't know if he ever will. Now, you could blame some of it on the bum leg. You know, apparently there's issues with that leg and he can't move like he used to. I understand that. But dude, second half of the fight, you got to do something different. Vary up the tempo of the jab. He, he was, in early on, you know, he has long arms. Benavidez does. Longer arms than Crawford. And he was kind of using this range finder, pawing jab. And I like to do that too because I got long arms. When I spar, I do the same thing. But if you got a guy who's timed that, measured that, made an adjustment to that, and he's getting inside of that, well, then you got to change the speed of your jab. You got to change what you're doing. You got to pull it back. You got to snap it out faster. You got to do twos and threes. You got to up jab. You got you to use side angles. Something to give your opponent something to think about. And Benavides just didn't do that. He was still doing that pawing kind of motion, and Crawford knew exactly what to do with it. It was just in such a great rhythm late that he could kind of do whatever the hell he wanted. And all Benavidez was really doing was taking punches and showing that he's a tough guy. And then in the end, you know, the uppercut that Crawford threw, those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw I tweeted the video of it. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Crawford gets in, works behind his jab, throws a combination that kind of blinds Benavidez, shoots a right uppercut on the inside. And if you look, Crawford kind of ate a punch while he threw it. But it didn't matter because Crawford was moving forward. Benavidez was on the back foot, nothing but an arm punch. Crawford was willing to take a little bit of a shot at that point 
to get his off, and his was so much better. He had blinded Benavidez, so that right uppercut, fight was done. And Benavidez, to his credit, gets up. He tries to fight on. Crawford tags him, gets him out of there with like 30 seconds left. It was just a complete performance from Crawford. So now there are people saying this performance proves it. He's pound for pound number one. I'm not so sure about that. Me personally, I still rate Lomachenko number one. And I'll tell you why. It's about opponents. Lomachenko, there's nobody on Crawford's resume that is as good as Jorge Linares or Gary Russell Jr., let alone Guillermo Rigondeaux. There just isn't. The guys, the best guys that Crawford has beat are maybe on the level of a Roman Martinez, you know, who Lomachenko dominated and knocked out, you know, that level of fighter. Probably the best guys he's fought. So because Lomachenko has beat the better fighters, including a fellow pound-for-pound top 10 guy in Rigondeaux, I give him the edge there. If you are somebody who gives Crawford the edge because he, com he completely unified the 140-pound division, and that's something Lomachenko hasn't done yet, I ain't mad at you. I understand that. So if you got Crawford rated number one right now, and that's your reasoning for it, I get it. Trust me, I get it. Some people think that Usyk should be ranked higher than guys like uh, Lomachenko because he completely unified the cruiserweight division. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, just what, what Lomachenko has done in several different divisions and the speed with which he's done it, I think that's special. And I just think he's the top guy right now. But I ain't mad at you if you think Crawford's number one. For me, they're 1A and 1B. They're the two top guys and then it's everybody else. All right, another busy weekend with boxing all over the place. Let's start on Thursday, October 18th. Fantasy Springs Casino, Indio, California. Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. Not the best fight in the world. Not the best matchup in the world. But if you want to see some boxing on Thursday, you got it. ESPN2. Jason Quigley. 14-0 with 11 knockouts. Going up against a fighter from Mexico City, Freddy Hernandez, who is 34-9. This is, of course, a middleweight fight. Quigley is a middleweight prospect. It is a 10-rounder. Quigley has been matched pretty light thus far. Hernandez is experienced, but made to order. This guy's been stopped several times, uh, kind of inconsistent in his performances. He took Irislandi Lara and Demetrius Andre the distance He at 154 pounds. He beat Luis Colazzo at 154 pounds. So he's had some decent performances, but then he was KO'd in one round by Andre Berto, and he's been stopped in another fight. So the guy, to me, He's fought as light, as light as 147, did the bulk of his work at 154. He's made to order for Quigley to go rounds to look good against. After this fight, Quigley comes out of it, no injuries, everything's good. Time to step him up. Now, no fights on Friday that I see, uh, but Saturday we got stuff all over the world. Uh, Saturday, October 20th, that is. In France, Arsene Goulomirian who is an Armenian who now trains up in Big Bear, California, 23-0. Uh, he's going up against Mark Flanagan, who's 24-5 out of Brisbane, Australia, for the WBA Cruiserweight title. Boy, the WBA sucks. Boy, do they suck. We already know who the real champion at Cruiserweight is. Is there any denial 
that Oleksandr Usyk is the guy at Cruiserweight. So why the hell would the WBA sanction a fight for a title there? Because the WBA does what the WBA does. They're horrible. In the UK, it's a Frank Warren card featuring light heavyweight prospect Anthony Yard against another pizza boy. Anthony Yard is another guy who has the look straight out of central casting for what a boxer is supposed to be in the 21st century. Good looking black dude, ripped, does all the flashy combinations. He is exactly what the sports media wants and, and pictures in a boxer up and coming. He just uh, signed a deal with Adidas, if you don't believe me. There's your proof. He has a sponsorship deal with Adidas already, even though he's accomplished virtually nothing as a professional prize fighter yet. At some point, they got to step this kid up. I just talked about Jason Quigley being matched light. Jason Quigley's opponents are better than Anthony Yard so far. So when Jason Quigley has been matched tougher than you have, time to step it up especially if you're getting deals with Adidas, okay? Time to step it up, dude. At the same time, I kind of don't blame them. You're fighting nobodies and you're getting deals with Adidas. So, hey, maybe they just need to keep doing what they're doing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, let's come over here to the US of A to Orlando, Florida at the CFE Arena. It's World Boxing Super Series Season 2 action on the zone. And we got two fights here. In the cruiserweight fight, Cuban, Unier Dorticos, 22-1, and coming off that first and only loss in his career, that TKO-12 loss to Marat Gassiev in February. Guys, that fight between Gassiev and Dorticos was this year. Is it just me or does that shit feel like it was in 2017? This year is just so long. Now, look, I've moved across the country I sold a home, I just bought a home, I got engaged. So a lot of shit's happened for me this year. Professionally, I called my first action for Thompson Boxing. I mean, I've had a lot of career accomplishments. I started writing for the ring. So maybe that's why 2018 feels so long. But if you would have asked me, man, when did, when did Garcia fight Dorticos? I would have been like, um, last summer? 27, mid-2017? It just feels like it was like a year ago. That shit was this February. Man, life's a trip. Anyway, Dortico is coming off that loss, fighting Matthias Mas Masternek out of Poland, who is 41-4. Masternek has lost a few fights, obviously, but he's been competitive in those losses. He's won rounds. So uh, I think this will be an interesting, entertaining cruiserweight fight. For me, the cruiserweights never disappoint, dude. I'm going to be watching this fight. In the main event... Bantamweight action, Emmanuel Rodriguez out of Puerto Rico, who is 18-0 as an amateur, was 171-11. So a decorated, successful, experienced Puerto Rican amateur, undefeated as a pro, going up against an undefeated Aussie, Jason Maloney. And for Rodriguez, this will be the first defense of his IBF bantamweight title. For Maloney, this will be his first bout outside Australia. <clears throat> Rodriguez, meanwhile, has fought in four different countries. He won his Bantamweight title in the UK just a few months ago in May. So, you know, you just look at the experience. You look at who's traveled, who's stamped that passport. 
You got to favor Rodriguez big time in this fight. Let's see if Maloney, the Aussie, Australian fighters have a reputation for being tough as hell and bringing it and making it rough when they need to. Let's see if he could do that here. But Orlando, Florida has a significant Puerto Rican population. There's also, it's, it's Florida, so there's Cubans. So there's going to be a good, fun crowd there. There's going to be Cubans out for Dorticos. I think there's going to be a lot of Puerto Rican support for Rodriguez. Going to be an interesting card. I Both of those fights, I think, are going to entertain. I think, you know, if you guys haven't signed up for the zone yet, this might be the week to do it. I think that's an underrated card. I really, really do. I think both of those fights are going to be fun, man. And then let's go up the East Coast. We started in Florida. Let's take a bus and drive all the way up to Boston, Massachusetts. Boston, Mass. At the TD Garden. Matchroom on the zone. So this is not a World Boxing Super Series. It's just a matchroom card. And on this card, Tevin Farmer. First defense of his IBF 130-pound title. Demetrius Andrade fighting for the vacant WBO middleweight title against Namibian Walter Kautendakwa. I think I got that right. So both of those fights are pretty much layups. Both Farmer and Andrade layups. They're going to win. Also, Kater Born, featherweight prospect, Kid Galahad, fa facing a Liberian fighter, Toka Khan Clary, and Katie Taylor, defending her lightweight titles, her unified lightweight titles against Brooklyn, Puerto Rican, Cindy Serrano. That fight might steal the damn show. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and call it. That fight's going to steal the show. Scott Quigg, back from a loss and a broken jaw in an eight-rounder. I'm sorry, he didn't break his jaw. He broke his opponent's jaw. What am I saying? Back from that loss to Oscar Valdez, the monsoon that I was standing ringside for. I needed a poncho for that one. I'll never forget that event. Uh, he is back in an eight-rounder. Also, in Las Vegas, let's, let's leave the East Coast. Let's take the bus out west, and let's go to Vegas at the Park Theater. Top rank and Tekken Promotions have a card. This is going to be on ESPN+. Plus. <clears throat> Not the network, but the app. And in the main event, Japanese fighter Ryoto Murata going up against American Rob Brandt. This is the second defense of Murata's WBA middleweight title. This fight literally could be for the Triple G sweepstakes. We already know Canelo is going to fight Rocky Fielding at 168 for a bullshit title. This is a bullshit WBA title, just eight pounds lighter at middleweight. Maybe Golovkin early next year will want an opponent. If, if Golovkin and Canelo can't play nice and make a rubber match right away for May, maybe Golovkin will want to return against the winner of this fight. We shall see. So <clears throat> this fight's very, very important. Could be big business. The winner of this fight could get Triple G next. And since Murata already has business dealings with ESPN and Top Rank obviously promotes him. Top Rank has already mentioned that they would be more than willing to work with Lawler and 360 to bring Golovkin to ESPN now that HBO is gone. They'd also work with Golden Boy and Canelo to bring him to ESPN. But Canelo's busy fighting Rocky Fielding. So maybe this Murata Brandt winner, I'm just saying, this might be the Triple G sweepstakes. Murata is a 2012 Olympian, won gold in 2012, should be undefeated. 
That first loss to uh, Indom was complete and utter bullshit. And the BA, to their credit, mandated an immediate rematch. And Murata left absolutely no doubt in that rematch. So he should be an undefeated fighter. This will be his third fight in the United States. He's fought in the USA a couple times. I believe in Vegas. So uh, he's experienced with coming to the US of A. I think that he should get the W here. Brandt is from St. Paul, Minnesota. <clears throat> Man, I'm losing my voice. Now lives in trains in Dallas, where there's a hot gym scene growing. I think that's a good move for him. He took his first loss last year in the World Boxing Super Series, but that was at 168 pounds. He moved up in weight for that opportunity. He's really a natural middleweight. So I think that he's going to perform better in this fight than a lot of you think. Might give Murata the toughest fight of his career, to be honest with you. This might be a close fight, but I do think Murata's going to edge it. Also on this card, Maxim Dadashev, who is an 11-0 prospect from St. Petersburg, trains and lives now in Oxnard, California. He's one of those Aegis Klimas guys going up against Antonio DeMarco, the Mexican veteran in a 10-round, 140-pound fight. That is a great step up for Dadashev. Uh, DeMarco's been in with everybody. Lost some, won some, won most. Good experience, quality fighter, exciting I think that's going to be a fun, fun fight. So that's it for this week, guys. Loaded episode, man. We got a lot to cover. Um, <clears throat> I hope you guys are inspired after some of my words early on just about the state of boxing that we're in right now. It's a great time to be involved in this sport, whether you're a fan, whether you're a weekend warrior who trains and, you know, try to do some competitions here and there, whether you're working in media, whatever you're doing, if you're involved in this sport, it's an exciting time, ladies and gentlemen. Please remember your fee for this week. Get one of your friends, one of your homies to go to my iTunes and drop a five-star rating. Thank you so much, guys. Episode 143 in the books. I'll see you at the fights.